I think theology's for the clergy. I just believe in Jesus. Certain hermeneutics of eschatology demand an exegetical approach. I think you shouldn't question what you were taught in church. Isn't that blasphemy or something? Welcome to the broadcast, folks. I am Michael Patton, and I am hosting today, you guessed it, Theology Unplugged. Theology Unplugged is a broadcast brought to you by Reclaiming the Mind Ministries. Reclaiming the Mind Ministries can be found at www.reclaimingthemind.org. We're glad all of you have joined us, whether through Facebook, through the blog. Maybe you just downloaded this and you're listening to this on uh, some other portable device. But uh, we are happy to have you uh, joining us each week. Got lots uh, in store for today as we continue to talk with Tim and Sam about evangelicalism. Tim Kimberly is a graduate of Dallas Theological Seminary. Sam's a graduate of Dallas Theological Seminary. I'm a graduate of Dallas Theological Seminary. So this is uh, a Dallas Theological Seminary bunch, although we are kind of diverse in some ways, more diverse mm-hmm. than you would think. Mm-hmm. You know, not necessarily all of us will be the typical Dallas Theological Seminary. I'll yeah, be a little some bit of more us are right, some of us are wrong. I'll be a little <laughs> bit more typical than most people because you know I'm, I'm scared to leave my heritage right now. But um, yeah, and some quick announcements for uh, the theology program and Credo House reclaiming the mind and everything. It should be just about uh, a week and a half or so from the date of this broadcast going online that we'll have our theology boot camp and just a real quick 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. it's going to be a great day of really the foundations of the faith taught by Michael and I um, and what's what we're really excited about is if you're in Edmond Oklahoma come on over to the Credo House it'll be a great day if you're not in the area we have a great online learning environment that it'll be totally live you'll be able to ask questions live to us we'll be able to interact you'll be able to see live streaming and this video. is different folks than the online environment that we used to go by. Yeah, yeah. Okay, this is this is a clean one. It's the it's the G-rated one. It's actually professional. <laughs> and what's what we're really excited about too is that it has full iPhone integration as well. So you can download the iPhone app for free. Uh, just contact us. We'll tell you how to do all that stuff. And you can be sitting in Starbucks or whatever, and you can be watching live video of us teaching theology. You can be chatting live, asking questions live, seeing our slides live. And with uh, a new all, iPhone. All they can even put themselves on the camera, can't they? Yeah, yeah. You can. Not, not you can actually, you. Yeah, no, we, that's, we won't. that's dangerous. <laughs> that's right. But and from iPad as well. So both iPad and iPhones can live interact with the theology program or with boot camp on July thirty first. You're a, you're an Apple guru, aren't you? I'm actually a, an equal. Uh, I actually like both platforms. I, I say that Apple is an eternal fad. That's that's all. You keep on waiting for everybody to quit going so goo about Apple, and they just. It's just not going to stop. One of the things I love about them, I, I'm actually a bigger fan of Jonathan Ive, and Jonathan Ive is the guy who's designed all of the stuff that Apple's come out with in the last probably 15 years. Just incredibly creative guy. And so what I love about him, not trying to make everything spiritual, but just seeing someone who's made in the image of God, I don't know if he's a believer or not, but seeing the creativity that just oozes from that guy, uh, I think it should be inspiring to anybody. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Sam, you got an iPhone? No, I do not. I, I'm afraid I'm a technological dinosaur. Um, I don't even have a com- Bible program on my computer. I, you don't? No, I've got to have the book in my hand so I can smell it and write in it. And I wish I would have known that before I invited you here because I really <laughs> think that's a prerequisite now for that, salvation. That thing in front of you is called a microphone. Just be careful. Uh, <laughs> well, I'm, 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 I'm being wooed by certain friends to, to get a, a particular kind of Bible, Bible works. Software. 
or in Lagos. You need them both. Okay, don't don't try to figure out which one should I get. Bible work. You got to get them both. They both have particular things that you have to have. Well, I actually had Bible works, but I only used it to basically cut and paste scripture. I didn't use any of the functions. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I gotta, okay, I've okay. gotta, I gotta have the. The lexicon in my hands, you know, it's just, I'm just one of these old guys, what can I say? Yeah. I, I actually like that too. I like to be able to smell it and write in it and everything. I haven't bought a commentary in probably four years because yeah. I get them all from Logos now. See, I love technology, but I don't trust it fully. And so I'm just too afraid that I'm going to get all this stuff and then there's going to be a lightning storm and I lose everything. Yeah, maybe so. But well, let, let's anyway. let's move toward the topic of our discussion, which I don't think uh, Bible study programs is an essential aspect of evangelicalism. Evangelicalism is the topic that we are continuing today. And we have uh, been trying to define not only what is evangelicalism, what what is the history of evangelicalism, but also, I think what we're moving towards is trying to at least ask uh, in some way, what, what are we, where are we moving towards? Mm-hmm. What is the future of evangelicalism? Last time, we ended by talking about what are the greatest strengths and the greatest weaknesses of evangelicalism. Sam said the greatest strength has to do with the gospel, has to do with the, um, the, the uh, purity, keeping the gospel, and proclaiming the gospel. But also, Sam said the biggest weakness is... The gospel, and the the the, the many evangelicals uh, don't know the gospel and uh, can't explain the gospel and define the gospel much differently. Tim said the greatest strength has to do with the gospel, the proclamation of the gospel, but the greatest weakness has to do with the ecclesiology, the structure, the the ability for evangelicals to organize themselves in some type of way that uh, is I, I don't know if we're saying uniform, but in some type of way that is functional. Uh, mm-hmm. Sometimes we can just get out there as evangelicals and begin something, and, and whatever the society is doing, maybe we'll just reproduce that and call it evangelical. And that has mm-hmm. almost uh, been what the outside world sees as evangelical now. It's kind of almost innovative in our ecclesiology mm-hmm. uh, to such a degree that it seems nice sometimes. And as you said, there's some good things to it, just mm-hmm. starting afresh, but also some very bad things. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. it, oh, sorry. No, I was saying. just going to say it's almost as if many within evangelicalism um, have identified with the Western individualistic entrepreneurial go west young men spirit. It's mm-hmm. like I can. Uh, I don't like what I see in this segment of the evangelical world. Well, I'll just leave and I'll go start my own church and and create another segment. There is this splintering, this as you said in the previous program, this lack of connectedness to any kind of historical identity, any sense of corporate continuity through the ages um, that uh, I think is one reason why, as Tim said, we lack any kind of consistent ecclesiology, any kind of, I think, potent ecclesiology where the, the reality of the church actually makes a difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I totally agree. I mean, I think this is probably a crass example, but it's almost like a franchise example in some ways. You know, imagine if you're going to buy a McDonald's franchise, that would mean very specific things. It would mean that you have a Big Mac. It means that, that you, there are all these things that you can get coffee, smoothies, these are coming out now. It's you know what it'll be like basically when you walk in, and people. That's a comfort in many ways. You know what McDonald's is going to be. Mm-hmm. Well, then imagine you go to the next town and you walk in, and instead it's a steak joint because they thought, well, we'll improve it. You know, who wants cheap cheap burgers? You know, instead we'll have steaks. But then you go into another place and you walk into McDonald's, and it's more of a, a coffee shop. 
And then you go into another place in another town in a McDonald's, and it's actually an automotive repair place. <laughs> and and you kind of start wondering over time, like, well, is there anything? And I mean, we said this is the there gospel truly is truly distinctive. Yeah, I mean, does this label, like, does the label McDonald's even mean anything anymore? If it can mean anything, mm-hmm. basically, it's kind of like, well, whatever you as a franchise owner end up thinking is best for your particular context, then go for it. Uh, then, I mean, really then there isn't any help from the main office, so to speak, because the main office is saying, well, there actually isn't a main office because everyone's just up on their own. I mean, mm-hmm. there, there's no kind of guiding principles truly anymore that seem to say this is, if you are an evangelical church, this is the way it's going to be, um, you know, which we've said there can be negative things associated with that, but we're losing all the positive aspects. Sam, last time said uh, our our disdain, I guess, for tradition because of our disdain for what we came from in Roman Catholicism and the bad things, and we've kind of just jettisoned all of those things. I went to a church not too long ago, and I'm not saying good or bad about this, okay? I don't want to deal with that right now. In my mind, it's not good, but in in another sense, uh, we could could talk about it as being a, a value. But I went into a church not too long ago, and it was very interesting, the experience I had from the parking lot to whenever I left. And in the parking lot, there was people, you know, that were greeting in parking lot. Nothing big deal right there, you know. But you, you as you're pulling up, you get uh, you get uh, these people asking you, "Is this your first time here?" Yes, it is my first time here. And so all of a sudden, all the people are saying, "We got a, we got a." Let's see here, VIP, VIP, very important person. <laughs> so they they waved me down and valet parked my car. And then whenever I got in, the first thing I did was I walk up and the greeter said, "Oh, you're a VIP," because they gave me a sticker. And all of a sudden, I'm ushered into the <laughs> slow down, Michael. I'm, gonna yeah. I'm taking notes. Yeah, I'm going to bring this up to our board of elders. Some good ideas here. <laughs> all right, we'll wait till the next one. All right. <laughs> and so we get, we get, we take our kids, and now we're being ushered as VIPs throughout the church. And then we get to the the place where we're dropping off our kids, and I mean, it looked like a blast. This place, we had clowns and an elf. There was a clown and an elf that greeted you, and then as you go in, you have a basketball court that is built into the room. We have a, a place where you get tickets, and you go spend your tickets if you get memory verses and get Barbie dolls or, or you know, I don't know, Toy Story toys and stuff like that. It's mm-hmm. just whatever you wanted, which all was cool to me, you know. I mean, we're we're usually taking them up to, to uh, Chuck E. Cheese, you know, later on that day, so now this is just kind of a one-stop deal to you know we don't have to go to Chuck E. Cheese anymore and then after that we go into the worship room which was an incredible production I mean that's all I can say it was incredible the band was incredible the the smoke was incredible where you know you couldn't see as you were walking in the the lighting was incredible but more than that the these videos that they showed that were just so well done they were commercials for one of them was a commercial just for the coming up women's retreat and it was hilarious and as I watched that, I'd say, I'd go to this if I was a woman because they did such a good job with this commercial. Mm. And so we watched, you know, 45 minutes of commercials and then the sermon after that, then another, you know, real high production type commercial. Now, I'm not, again, I'm not necessarily saying anything good or bad about that, but 
what I see there is what evangelicalism is now becoming identified with so much. By the way, I stopped taking notes. <laughs> <laughs> at, the, at the elf? Yes. Yeah, the clown and the elf, and I said, all right. Well, another one I went to, you, you, whenever you dropped off your kids, they climbed up a jungle gym in order to get into the main sanctuary where the kids are at, and they slid into the sanctuary. I thought that was so much fun. I mean, I wanted to climb up. And, I wish it's like, uh, my kid forgot something. I need to go and hand him something down the slide. But but it, it seems to be coming down to, in my mind, whenever I think of evangelical and pop evangelical, and that's the word I use now. I put a pop in front of it whenever I'm trying to refer to a particular type of evangelicalism that is going on here in America that is disconnected. This pop evangelicalism I see out there is a real strong motivational type of uh production and and really helpful for a lot of people i'm not mm-hmm. saying it's not helpful i'm not saying you know self-help things are not helpful but the disconnect from the historic church and the connect to the way in which society does things is what i am beginning to see a lot of people are identifying evangelicalism with and here's the problem and again without trying to pass judgment on this church or these people who probably are very um, godly people with good intentions. If that is the way uh, the children's ministry is structured, my guess is it's not going to be that much different for the adults. Mm-hmm. There's going to be a superficial, shallow entertainment orientation that causes me to then stop and say, all right, at what point do these sorts of churches or ministries, so-called, cease to be deserving of the label evangelical? Or even it, the label church. It, yeah. Is the, is the umbrella of evangelicalism so broad that it can encompass um, expressions of Christian life and ministry and community that have, to a very large extent, abandoned any connection, not just with history, but with Scripture? So... I understand why there are some today who are saying, we need to just flush this term down the toilet. Evangelicalism Mm -hmm. means everything, and therefore it means absolutely nothing. Mm -hmm. And so at what point do we then begin to draw some more careful uh, boundaries and create some more uh, um, uh, greater and more precise definitions? And then, of course, you run the risk of devolving back into a, a fundamentalist mentality mm-hmm. that is so obsessed with drawing specific boundaries and uh, defining things down to every little jot and tittle that you have overreacted and you're back in the very milieu or situation that made evangelicalism so necessary. That's a, that's a, I totally agree. Like As you were describing that, I was thinking, well, it's easy to slam that, but what's the alternative? And the alternative perhaps is something that's a lot more inclusive that would end up looking like a fundamentalist church, really, mm-hmm. that would say, like, you know, there can be no slides in our church because that's what the world does. No PowerPoint. You know? Yeah, no dancing, God forbid, because mm-hmm. that's, what the tr- that's what the world does. You know, we need to be separate. We need to be distinct. We need to be different. You know, it's almost and, like... And, and you don't want to say, we need to be boring. You know, um, yeah, yeah. Well, then it's almost like, well, if the strength of evangelicalism is the gospel, should we care if there's a slide in the church? Instead, should we just say, how prominent was the gospel in that children's ministry, yeah. perhaps? How prominent was scripture? How prominent was the Trinity? You know, the things that evangelical theological society says, this is what makes you evangelical. Yeah. It, 
And it does bring up the question of whether or not, I don't know if this is where you want to go in this discussion, but whether or not there are in across the landscape, and let's, let's keep it just in America right now, uh, because I don't know, you know, the situation of evangelicalism globally is an entirely different animal. But in America, in the West, are there individuals and organizations and ministries that have recognized these diverse extremes within evangelicalism and have said, we're going to try to come back into the mainstream, into the essentials, and identify uh, what evangelicalism really is. Are they being successful in it? And the reason I raise that is because um, the, across the landscape of the American evangelical world in the last 10 years, there have been a handful of individuals and movements that seem to be uh, doing this well. And I'm thinking of the Gospel Coalition, for example. Mm-hmm. I mean, here is an organization that is, um, pr- the leadership of it is broadly based. It's, it's multi-ethnic, and yet they're united around an incredible confessional statement. Uh, there are many churches now that are using the confessional statement of the Gospel Coalition for their own churches um, and when you read it, and I would encourage your listeners to, to Google Gospel Coalition, go to their website, read their statement of faith. My guess is if anybody can affirm that confessional statement, I wouldn't have any problem identifying them as evangelical, regardless of what other external trappings they may have in their local church or what other secondary issues they may, you know, uh, uh, embrace or things like um, together for the gospel, mm-hmm. which is a little more narrowly defined, but still um, is attempting to to unify um, around the gospel the great diversity of individuals and churches and denominations that exist in America. So, well, whenever you have evangelicalism, as, as I described it earlier, you know, having this kind of production that is very helpful in, in a lot of ways and brings people in, and, and then you have evangelicalism that is existing in a more conservative type of environment, could we say that one of the strengths of evangelicalism is its loose cl- ecclesiology? I mean, isn't that one of the strengths and weaknesses of Protestantism in general? In other words, the diversity is not necessarily... Um a negative, it could actually be a positive. It can be a positive as long as we look at it as such. You know, I mean, there may be a church over. I, I think that there's a great lack of unity, and I don't know how to bring unity. There's a lot of really easy for people to throw rocks at the church down the street that is too conservative, and the 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 other one to throw rocks at the down the street at the one that's too progressive. And that there's no unity, there's no, we're on a common mission type of thing. It's everybody trying to do it, everything in their own church. If there was, they were seen as more unity and more working together, maybe that's the spirit of evangelicalism. Hey, we've got a lot of diversity. We've got a lot of diversity of people. We've got a lot of diversity of churches, and we've got a lot of diversity of children's ministries. Mm-hmm. But let's just come together and make sure that we're, we're building Disciples. Mm-hmm. I would agree too. I think the diversity is wonderful. You know, I think it, it would be synonymous of saying, "Hey, we want to have diversity, but we want some boundaries." And I think that's where we're saying right now. It feels like all of those fences, maybe that were originally built around evangelicalism, that said, "Hey, here are the boundaries. This is what we all believe." So that when we say evangelicalism, it's it's apparent what we mean. It, it seems like we used to have those boundaries, and then for the sake of diversity, in many ways. 
boundaries, those boundaries are no longer there. You don't see that fence anymore, and it's been torn down. And I think it's kind of that call to, well, we don't want the, the boundaries to be so tight that we dictate every evangelical church must have mauve carpeting. Mm-hmm. You know, that would be mm-hmm. absurd. Or even that every evangelical church, um, you know, must have clowns or clowns are not permissible, anything like that. But more just saying, uh, I think it's a call that people are feeling that the Gospel Coalition is answering of saying, yes, but we still need boundaries. I mean, I think I was at a church plant. Clowns, but no elves. Yeah, that's probably should be dictated from the top down. <laughs> but, I mean, I was at a church plant, and three of us would sit around a table, and anything that we said went, you know, because we were dictating the way that the church should go. And so and so many of our conversations were around ecclesiology of just what should a church look like? What should our priorities be? And I think that a lot of our discussions would have been greatly helped by clearer boundaries, uh, and, and not that we can't be free to interpret Scripture, to be led by the Spirit and things like that, but just to say commonly, we need some boundaries. Sam, I don't know if you remember back in 2000, I'm not sure if you were there, but back in 2000 in Colorado Springs, the um, the theme of Evangelical Theological Society was boundaries, I think is what it was called, evangelical boundaries. And I think one of the main questions that was being discussed there was do we as evangelicals create boundaries or do we create the center in other words, you know, you can you can create an area to where you say you can't go outside this area. Let me draw the boundaries and big, make a big circle and say outside of this there is there is no fellowship, there is no uh, identification. But uh, or you can create a center where you say, no, well, here's the deal: is as long as you're focusing upon these main things, you know, you're not going to go outside too far. And there's a lot more freedom in that. And so the the distinction was whether we create boundaries or a center. And I've always seen evangelicalism itself as distinct from fundamentalism as having a center rather than boundaries. Freedom uh, in, in places that you know, a lot of other people wouldn't allow for that freedom, but we have this center that holds us together. And, and I, I, this isn't really an official evangelical credo or, or statement of faith, but I've always seen Rupertus Melinda's statement of in essentials unity, in non essentials liberty, and in all things charity. Mm-hmm. By the way, that is Rupertus Melindus who said that not Augustine, not Calvin, not Melanchthon, not any of those guys. It's been misattributed so often. I just have to give him a plug. Tim and I are breathless at Michael's thank you, uh, knowledge thank of you. this. Actually, this uh, Michael, I, I'm pretty sure that you could actually say that in Latin as well. No, I can't. It is written in Latin on our in our. You can't. I've heard you say that in Latin several times. Uh, only as I'm reading it. Okay. <laughs> But, but that, that is kind of, uh, for me, that's an evangelical credo. And for me, whenever I say, whenever we talk about solutions or, or where are we going or what do we need to reestablish, I, I always go back to that center. Mm-hmm. You know, what are the main things that create us as evangelicals? What are the doctrinal issues? Not just the doctrinal issues that you sign off on a paper for and, and you become a pastor of a church and say, oh yeah, I signed this paper that makes me an evangelical, but are you preaching and teaching and trying to instill the because for me first it starts with belief what do you believe mm-hmm. and, and everything else will flow from there and doesn't necessarily always flow from there because you got to create opportunities and facilitate uh, in your church opportunities to to uh, work out what you believe but it starts with belief 
I, I think though with it, with the center mentality though is goes to Sam's statement of uh, from the last broadcast of the greatest strength and the greatest weakness. So he said basically the center, the greatest strength would be the gospel, but then the greatest weakness is the gospel as well. That it becomes assumed and it doesn't really become the center. Mm-hmm. It's only the center, kind of in word, not in deed. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I wonder, without boundaries, and if you only have a center, then if that center starts to disintegrate, really does all of this network of evangelicalism disintegrate as well where it doesn't mean anything. Well, yeah, this issue of the, the difference between uh, what you're talking about in sociological terms, the centered set versus the bounded set, we won't go into that. But you take a statement of Jesus like, unless you believe that I am he, you're still in your sin. Um, Jesus is the center. Our affirmation about his identity is the core of, of our, of who we are as Christians and as evangelicals. But once you identify him, once you affirm that faith, you have created a boundary because there's now a boundary between those who do affirm that he is who he claims to be and as over against those who do not embrace who he claims to be. So there are always boundaries, even when the focus is a center. There have to be certain theological, moral boundaries by which the followers of Jesus are identified. Uh, the question is, what are they, and how are they enforced, and how are they identified? Um, sometimes, you know, just thinking about this whole issue of what is evangelical and what isn't, I wonder at times, has it just reduced down to a difference of style? Is it not so much... Uh, that we are substantively or theologically at odds with one another, but we just um, have endorsed or embraced different styles of ministry, whether it's um, uh, some form of the use, the use of media or having a clown greet your kid at the door or a more, you know, is it is it an issue of, well, at our church, the pastor preaches with a coat and tie and the other he's in uh, cutoffs and, and flip-flops. Uh, is it strictly a stylistic difference? Are, and, and, wh- and when does style itself become an expression of substance? When is there a theological agenda behind a stylistic expression? And how much diversity within evangelicalism um, should we be willing to recognize when it comes to style? Well, it's all an issue of compromise, and you have to say, when is it compromised? When is your ecclesiology compromised? You know, and, you know, as you talked about that being the weakness, I don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know. And I, again, we talked about this last time. This comes back to the original, uh, uh, critique of, hey, if you do this, Martin Luther, you know what you're going to do. You're, everybody's going to be going their own way. Mm-hmm. And in the end, I guess what we would always say is that, yes, th- there is going to be diversity. Yes, there is going to be a, a place to where, to where false beliefs and, and, and heresy can, and can flourish more or, or uh, more unrestrained, but it's worth it. Yeah. And, and one other thing, and I know we're probably coming to the end of our time. This would be a good topic for another program. We've been talking mostly about what must one believe, in essence, in order to be legitimately evangelical. But we haven't addressed the question of, are there things that you can believe or practice that preclude you from being an evangelical? Mm-hmm. Uh, are there... Issues that just simply put you outside the parameters of what could legitimately be called evangelical in even the most general sense. 
that, um, that I would say is different than just Orthodox Christianity. Yeah, because you know. what's important for, and we haven't said this, but maybe we should, at least I'm going to say it. When we use the word evangelical, we're not using that word as synonymous with Christian. Yes. Because, or maybe you are, Michael, I don't know, I have to get your no. opinion on that. Um, uh, we would not want to say that someone who would not consciously identify themselves as an evangelical is therefore not born again. That's correct. Uh, so um, are we differentiating, um, you know, orthodoxy from evangelicalism? Are we differentiating both of those from um, a, a Christian? Can somebody be born again who's, uh, who's not evangelical? What is it that they must embrace to qualify? How far in terms of theological deviation can they go? Uh, I mean, take Trinitarianism. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you do with the UPC, United mm-hmm. Pentecostal Church, the mm-hmm. Jesus-only people who affirm the deity of Jesus and who oftentimes seem to proclaim uh, what we would call the gospel, although there is some measures of legalism there as well. Uh, are they evangelical? What about open theists? No, you said they affirm the deity of Jesus. Yes. Whereas, okay, but, but what are they not affirming? They deny... Well, they say that there's only one person in the Godhead, and his name is Jesus. Yeah, so they're... They're de- modalists. Yeah, so they're denying the... The Trinity. The, the Trinity. So they're denying the Father and the they Spirit. They deny the distinct personal, eternal persons of Father and Spirit. They simply say those are expressions or manifestations of the one person in the Godhead who is Jesus. But they would probably call themselves evangelical. Yes. Yeah. Or what about open theists? We go back to the Evangelical Theological Society, which had a massive debate over whether an open theist could be a member in good standing of ETS. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are some who would say, if you're an open theist, you're not an evangelical. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Evangelical Theological Society voted by a very narrow margin not to exclude open theists from membership. Can you give just a quick for people who aren't familiar with open theism? Uh, it's the idea that God does not have exhaustive foreknowledge of the future, that the future is open to God as much as it is to us, and that um, certain things um, he cannot anticipate. And therefore, in a sense, to bring it down to the lowest common level, God can be surprised by choices that you will make or that I will make. Um, and the, the concept of divine foreknowledge, even among classical Arminians as well as Calvinists, has always been a common belief. Open theists have said that um, that the future is open not simply to humans, but also in many respects to God. Yeah, and you had open theists such as Gregory Boyd, who I respect in so many ways because of of the way he presents the gospel, the way mm-hmm. he takes a stand on things, the way in which he writes. I mean, so many other things. defends the historicity of the gospels and yeah, of Jesus. Yeah. So the question is, would somebody like Boyd or his church be under the umbrella of evangelicalism? And they would say they have the gospel at the center. Right. Mm-hmm. Or are there deviations theologically that put you outside of that uh, of that label and its legitimate use? Practices that uh, people do. You know, we've got evangelical gay churches out there mm-hmm. to where they. I mean, I, I was I was I, I think I sent that to you not too long ago, but it was this this blog that uh, I I happened across about a gay guy who left the faith but really remade the faith, then found fellowship in the faith in a faith that would accept his homosexuality mm-hmm. and and it was a church and a, it was an evangelical church at least from the confession i read through the confession i was like i'll sign this I and mean, there's no difference it's mm-hmm. just the gay part that's different you know that mm-hmm. uh homosexuality should be accepted and celebrated is what they would so, have as different so does evangelicalism entail a certain ethical standard mm-hmm. are there certain uh lifestyle choices that what well, is it possible to be 
uh, pro-abortion and evangelical. Mm-hmm. I mean, qu- I mean, these these are pretty pretty uh, significant questions. Well, we're a vote Democrat, even worse. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then church government questions. You know, does if you're evangelical, do you have to have an elder board? Do you have to have any leaders? Can there just be one? Do you have to have a pastor? Can you can could there be just where whoever gets up and wants to talk, they're the one who's speaking that well, week? What, you what, know, what about so baptismal like regeneration? What about we're we're in the heartland of the Church of Christ here, who believes that water baptism is essential for forgiveness of sins? Mm-hmm. Is that something that puts you outside uh, the evangelical world, or are they still within? What about are, as we said earlier, are there Catholic evangelicals? What is it about Catholic belief that might preclude the use of that term in any legitimate sense? All right, you guys are confusing me so much. I'm going back to the tried and true definition of an okay. evangelical. Okay, way to crawl you into your word. hole and, uh, yeah, you, you as a are, fundamentalist. You, if you want to know whether you're an evangelical, do you like Billy Graham? <laughs> nice. That was the definition for a long time. <laughs> if you do, yes. If no, you're not. Okay, so can we leave it at that? At least for now, we'll yeah. pick this back up well, next I time. I know a lot of non-Christians who like Billy Graham. <laughs> That's right. Oh, nice. oh no. So you, now door. you can be a Muslim evangelical <laughs> who likes Billy Graham. All right, folks. Well, thank you for joining us. Hopefully you have uh, benefited from uh, our conversation here as, as uh, you know, representative of evangelicalism as it may be, us going all over the place. But I think... Uh, I think we've opened some good questions. I'm not saying we're going to close any of those questions and give you some definite answers, but this is a conversation. That's what Theology Unplugged is about, is to uh, allow you to kind of sit in on theological conversation. Thanks for joining us, and we'll talk to you next week. You've been listening to Theology Unplugged. Visit our iTunes page by searching Theology Unplugged at the iTunes store. All episodes are available as free downloads. Theology Unplugged is made possible by Reclaiming the Mind Ministries. Reclaiming the Mind Ministries is a listener-supported ministry. If you've enjoyed this session or benefited from it in any way, do consider partnering with us. For information on how to become a ministry partner and for a complete listing of ministry resources, visit the RMM homepage at www.reclaimingthemind.org. Thank you for listening, and God bless.